Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 136, where we will pick it up in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And so just to reiterate, uh, Isaiah is a, prophet, uh, is a prophet of the Lord. He's an oracle of the Lord, and so the Lord is speaking to him, and Isaiah is speaking out to the people. And he is doing this, uh, in most cases, about 170 years outside of the events taking place. In other words, uh, the events he's talking about is about 170 years or so into the future. In most cases, this is not the case all the time because sometimes he's prophesying events uh, present day time or even into the future in the millennial reign of Christ, which is yet to come. And so um, as we pick it up in chapter 58, we see in verse three, it says, uh, the title says true fasting. So this is what true fasting is about. Fasting isn't just about not eating for the sake of not eating and being hungry and punishing yourself. Uh, it has uh, spiritual dimensions and spiritual implications, and we need to understand how to fast in order that it would be uh, effective. Obviously, we don't want to do anything that has no impact. <laughs> and so in verse 3, it says, Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. See, so the people are asking, why have we fasted and you haven't seen anything? And why did we say you haven't seen anything? Because you haven't noticed. You haven't done anything. We haven't seen any result of our fasting. And it says, the Lord says, look, you do as, you're, as you please on the day of your fast. See, you do as you want and oppress all your workers. And so you do what you think is right, you do what you want, and you impose that on your workers. In verse four it says, you fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You're just not fasting right. And it says, you cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. See? So Isaiah is prophesying, you can't do what you're doing today in the hopes that God will hear you because what you're doing is not right. It says in verse 5, it says, uh, will the fast I choose be like this? This is the Lord speaking. Uh, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. So is, that, is that the kind of fast that I've called? It says, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I chose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to tear off every yoke? In verse seven, it says, it is not to share bread with the hungry, or is it not to share bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood. See, this is, this is the kind of fast I've called for, says the Lord. That you would share your food, that you would share your, 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 your home, that you would uh, watch out for those who are in need. It says in verse 8, it says, Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. And it says that in verse 9, at this time, see, only at this time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. Only after you do these things, only after you recognize my kind of fast, you see, will the Lord answer. Not your kind of fast, my kind of fast. <clears throat> then it says, 
if you get rid of the yoke among you, you know, in other words, if you stop burdening people with unnecessary stuff, see, a lot of times we want to burden people with stuff in the name of righteousness. You see, but that's not what the Lord is saying. It says, if you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking. See, if you get rid of all this nonsense, verse 10, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. If you recognize what righteousness is and start to behave in a righteous fashion, if you start to be other-oriented, you know, looking out for others instead of just for yourself, if you recognize these things and act on these things and execute these things, it says, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. <clears throat> we drop down uh, to verse 13. And uh, like I alluded to yesterday, this is verse 13 um, through the end of this chapter uh, talks about the Sabbath. And uh, the Sabbath is a subject that has always kind of confused me um, uh, because in some places in the Old Testament, it makes it seem like a burden that the Lord has put on the people and, and whatnot. But that's not the case at all, in my opinion. If you really look at it and study it and figure out, try to figure out where the Lord is coming from. In First, let me just go to verse 13. It says, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of the Lord uh, honorable, if you honor it, not going on your own ways, in other words, not doing your own thing, seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father, Jacob. And so it seems like the Lord is imposing something on us. But Jesus said that the Sabbath uh, was not uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. Now, why is that or how is that? The Lord designed us. He built us. He constructed us. He knows how we are. He knows that all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy. <laughs> he knows that we require rest in order to function in the way that we were intended. He knows this. And so he put in place a Sabbath rule, if you will, that you are to rest from your activities and your work, that you are to take time and rejuvenate. And so by, by saying, you know, don't work or this, another, he's looking out for us. It's kind of like oil in your car, you know, making sure your vehicle's operating in an optimum condition. You have to have maintenance. You have to take care of it. And so the Lord is saying, my Sabbath is essentially your maintenance. See, you have to maintain yourself, spirit, mind, and body. And the way to do this is you have to have planned times of rest. And in that rest, you, you are to acknowledge me and you are to recognize my glorious nature, see? And so, so this is what we're to do. And we have to do this on a regular basis. See, a lot of us go 900 miles an hour and from when we wake up to when we go to bed and we do it every day, every day, every day. You can't do that. See, pretty soon, you're just gonna run out of juice and you're gonna collapse. And so the Lord knew this, and so he placed a Sabbath rest in place for us, not something that was imposed on us, but something that was to benefit us if we understand it and if we take advantage of it. 
And so don't desecrate the Sabbath. In other words, don't sabotage yourself. The Lord says, I'm trying to maintain you. Work with me, not against me. Let's go on to chapter 59. And the section head says, uh, sin and redemption. In verse 1, it says, um, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too uh, weak to save, and his ear not too deaf to hear. You know, <laughs> in other words, the Lord is all-powerful. He can do what he wants. He sees everything. He hears everything. He's not too weak to act on it. In verse 2, it says, But your iniquities are separating you from your God. You know, your sins, your wickedness, your evilness, all that stuff is separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. It doesn't say so that he can't listen. You know, it's not that he can't hear you. It's that he won't hear you. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear you because you have not behaved in a manner consistent with getting his attention. You have not been righteous. You have not been just. You've been evil and wicked, and therefore, <clears throat> he's hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. You're interpreting it as him not being able to hear you or hearing him not hearing you, but that's not the case. In verse 4, it says, No one makes claims justly. No one pleads honestly. They trust in empty and worthless words. They conceive trouble and give birth to iniquity. See, so he's talking about the people and, 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 and their habits and what they do. See, they don't, they don't value righteousness. See, no one claims justly. They, they all are, they're always looking for an angle. How can I work the system? Let's see, we were on uh, 59, let's go down to um, verse 7. It says, their feet run after evil, and they rush to shed innocent blood. Now, I've got this highlighted because there are a lot of places, you know, shedding innocent blood is something that the Lord just abhors. And, when, uh, and a lot of people don't view abortion as shedding of innocent blood. But if you don't view it as that, then what is it? You know, this is, this is the most innocent amongst us. They're not even born yet, but they are people. They're not, you can't just uh, classify a life as a fetus as if it's not um, as if it's not a person because it's just a terminology that's used prior to that person hitting air breaking that membrane but it's still a person you know and, and they're the most innocent amongst us and so it says that their feet run after evil and they rush to shed innocent blood and that ought to bring caution to to people's behaviors with, with regard to not only innocently killing people uh, that are older and walking around, but the unborn as well. It says their thoughts are sh uh, sinful thoughts, run, uh, ruin and wretchedness <laughs> are their paths. And, and, and normally when people are, are, are wicked and wretched and whatnot, it's, it just doesn't stay within one area of their existence, one area of their life. It spills over to other areas. In verse 8, it says, they have not known the path of peace, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made their roads crooked. It says, they have made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. So you can't have any peace as long as you're living outside of the will of the Lord. 
eventually it will catch up with you. In verse 9, it says, therefore, justice, now Isaiah's going to switch up a little bit here. I like this. He says, therefore, justice is far from us. See, now he's putting himself amongst the people. He's not just declaring and prophesying at the people because these people are his people. And so he says, therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. In other words, the things that you've been doing also affect me. It says, we hope for the light, but there is darkness for brightness, for brightness but we live in the night. <clears throat> we drop down to verse 12 and it says, for our transgressions have multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Verse 13, it says, transgression and deception against the Lord, turning away from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering lying words from the heart. See, so these are the iniquities. It says, for our transgressions, uh, for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities and these are they. <laughs> Turn away um, uh, transgression and deception against the Lord. It says, turning away from following God. That's part of our iniquities. It says, speaking oppression and revolt. Or in other words, speaking violence against others. And conceiving and uttering lying words from the heart. See, birthing lying words and uttering them. All of these things are our iniquities and why the Lord can't hear us. Does that sound familiar? It says, uh, truth is missing. And whoever turns from evil is plundered. Now, that, that's interesting. And so we have a, we're, we're talking about a time period where, where people... Um, or truth was missing, and if some people recognized this and wanted to turn away from untruth, in other words, turn towards truth, says whoever turns away from evil, they want to turn away from wickedness and evil, it says they're plundered. In other words, so we have people, you know, living in a community, and there's some, some righteous ones in there that says what we've been doing is wrong, we can't continue doing this, we want to turn from our wicked ways, and it says, well, the other people are going to plunder them because they want to do right. See, and so righteousness and, and just behavior and whatnot is frowned upon in this time. It says, the Lord saw uh, that there was no justice and he was offended. He was offended at the lack of justice that was going on in his, within his people, amongst his people. In verse 16, he says, he saw that there was no man. He was amazed that no one interceded. See, he saw that there, his, his priests and his prophets and his leaders in government, he says there was not one, there was no man amazed that no one was interceding for this wicked and evil behavior that was going on. As a matter of fact, they were participating in it. Sometimes they were causing it. This offended the Lord. We cannot read this kind of stuff and not apply it to what we see in our society today. We can try to choose to stick our head in the sand, but it's obvious. It says, so his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported him. Because he witnessed this and saw this and there was no man, he said, okay, I have to do it myself. So his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported himself. 
It says in verse 17, he put on righteousness, his body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. It says in verse 18, so he will repay according to their deeds, fury to his enemies, retribution to his foes, and he will repay the coasts and the islands. In other words, to the ends of the earth. Nobody's going to escape this. Let's drop down to verse 21. It says, as for me, this is the Lord speaking, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Uh, my spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of your children's children from now on and forever, says the Lord. In other words, the Lord is saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to clean up this mess. And when I do, I'm going to make a covenant with them. And he's going to put his spirit on us. Hallelujah. And the words, he's going to put words in our mouth. And the words that he puts in our mouth will not depart from our mouth. Not only will they not depart from our mouths, but they won't depart from our children's mouths. And they won't depart from our children's children's mouths. In other words, this is generational. He's going to put his spirit on us and in us. And we are going to be his oracles, his, his spokespeople, his, his representatives on earth. And this is a generational covenant. Again, this is speaking. Now, this is speaking out into the millennial reign of Christ. This is out in the future. We haven't we haven't seen that yet. Let's go on to verse 60. Verse 60, chapter 60. And it says uh, the Lord's glory in Zion. It says in verse one, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness to peoples, but the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around you. Uh, they all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nursing mothers. Then you will uh, be radiant. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and rejoice because the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. So the Lord is speaking to Zion. This is out in the thousand year reign under Christ. You know, this could take place tomorrow. It could take place 100 years from now. It could take place 500 years from now. I don't know. OK, but this is what Isaiah is prophesying out into the future. If we drop down here to verse 10. It says, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Although I struck you in my wrath, yet I will show you mercy and favor. So the Lord is saying again, so we're out there. Um, uh, and so this is the glory in Zion, Zion and Jerusalem. Sometimes they get used interchangeably. And so this is out there in the millennial reign of Christ. And he's, 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 he's prophesying what's going to happen. See, foreigners will come and rebuild your cities. He says, I was hard on you because you were knuckleheads before, but now I'm going to show you my mercy and favor. It says in verse 11, your city gates will always be open. They will never be shut day or night so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you with their kings led in procession. So the kings will come before you, bringing a tribute to you for the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Those nations will be annihilated. Okay, so this is, again, the Lord speaking uh, out into the future, what's going to happen in Zion. Let's drop down to verse 18. It says, violence will never again be heard of in your land. Devastation and destruction will be gone from your borders. 
You will call your wall salvation and your city gates praise. In verse 19, it says, The sun will no longer be your light by day, and the brightness of the moon will not shine on you. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. That, to me, just sounds awesome. And if we go on to verse 21, it says, All your people will be righteous. Not a few, all of them. They will possess the land forever. They are the branch I planted, the work of my hands, so that I may be glorified. Yes, Lord. In chapter 61, uh, the section title is Messiah's Jubilee. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty of the captives and freedom of the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in Mark, in the New Testament, Jesus quotes this in, um, in the temple to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious people of the day. And he's essentially saying on this day, this scripture has been fulfilled. You see, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And so Jesus is announcing his coming. And a lot of people took umbrage with that. They didn't like that because he was saying, first of all, they were looking for a different type of Messiah. Jesus came to release them and forgive them from their sins. He didn't come to free them from the captives of the Roman Empire, which is so they were looking for a, a military a Messiah. And so <laughs> and so this news that he was announcing wasn't well accepted. But that's where it stops. The next part of what what is written here has to has to do with the second coming of Christ, not the first time, because it says in the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. See, this hasn't happened yet. So this is this this first part of red happened, you know, 2000 some odd years ago as Jesus was making these proclamations to the religious people of the day. But this part hasn't happened. <clears throat> and it says in verse three to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair. <clears throat> In verse 4, it says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priests. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations. You will boast in their riches. See? Verse 7, in place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share, so they will possess double in their land, and eternal joy will be there. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Let it be so. And in our last chapter, chapter 62, this says Zion's restoration. And it says, I will keep silent because of Zion. I will not keep uh, still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be given a new name uh, that the Lord's mouth will announce. 
you will be you will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God's hand. You will no longer be called deserted. See? And your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her. And your hand, excuse me, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land will be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we drop down to verse 8. We're going to finish with this. The Lord has sworn with his right hand and his strong arm, I will no longer give your grain to your enemies for food, for foreigners will not drink the new wine for which you have labored. See, the Lord said... You know, in this time in the future, this is not going to happen anymore. For those who gather the grain will eat it. Those who perform the labor will be able to partake in its, um, in its results. <clears throat> For those who gather grain will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who harvest the grapes will drink the wine in my holy courts. In other words, those who harvest the grapes or celebrate in my presence. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And with that, we are done for today. We will pick it up in chapter 63 tomorrow. And tomorrow we will be closing out the book of Isaiah. So with that, everybody take care and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye now.